I am uh, Nia Heidel, the Vice President of Alliance Engagement and Institutional Transformation here at Complete College America. And to this afternoon, we have an amazing group of colleagues here to talk to you about a project that we have focusing on predominantly Black and historically Black community colleges. Um, you will be, I think, really intrigued by the work that they're doing and inspired by the level of impact they're having on the students at their institutions. So I am going to hand off um, just introducing our three colleagues and by name, and then they will tell you a little bit more about their roles on their campuses and their organizations. And then we'll just have a conversation about the importance of this work. So I'll start, we have Dr. Richard Moss, who is gonna join us, Dr. Brandon Nichols, and Dr. Amberson, Amber Garrison Duncan. So Dr. Moss, if you would go first, that'd be great. Good afternoon, everybody. My name is Richard Moss. I am currently the director of STEM success at the University of Arkansas Pulaski Technical College. Uh, the college is a predominantly black institution and we are funded through a US Department of Education predominantly black institution grant. Uh, our goal is to increase the number of African-American male and females in the field of STEM. Uh, prior to that, uh, I was a success coach on another PBI grant that focused on the retention and graduation of African-American males. Uh, both of those demographics have challenges with retention and graduation. So uh, it's been a pleasure to, to, to work on that at, at this institution. Thank you, Dr. Moss. Dr. Nichols? Uh, greetings, everyone. Vice President of Academic Affairs at Olive Harvey College, one of the city colleges of Chicago. Um, and with being at Olive Harvey, predominantly black institution. And we reside in a predominantly black uh, residential area as well on the Southeast side of Chicago. Um, part of uh, participating in PBCC is really is the opportunity for us to leverage um, the aspects of equity. When we think about ensuring that we are student ready, we always hear about you know, students being college ready, but us as being part of the college, are we ensuring that our practices, our um, support services and our instruction are student ready. So we really would like to you know, be part of something that really is transformative, not just for right now, but really looking into the future that aligns with our existing to remove um, addressing food insecurity, housing insecurity, uh, cultural responsive pedagogy, and um, just textbook uh, access as well really focusing on more so on open educational resources and how we can meet students where they're at to ensure that we are student ready to um, ensure enrollment, retention, and completion of all our certificate and degree seeking students. Thank you very much, Dr. Nichols. And our last guest is Dr. Amber Garrison Duncan, who she will introduce herself, but we invited her particularly because she is the visionary behind this project when she was at the Lumina Foundation, and we just um, can't wait to hear about why she was inspired to, to do this work. Dr. Garrison Duncan. Hi, everyone. Thank you, Nia, for uh, the introduction and for the opportunity to join uh, Dr. Moss and Dr. Nichols on this uh, 
uh, podcast. So again, I'm Amber Gerson Duncan. I uh, am currently the Executive Vice President of the CompC-based Education Network, which is an organization that helps colleges and universities build flexible, relevant, um, and valuable credentials by the use of, of competencies and kind of moving off seat time so that we can uh, give a personalized learning journey for every learner. Um, and But getting back to kind of that trend before this transition, um, I, I certainly uh, find that the thread of thinking about what students need um, was a big part of my time at, at Lumina. And as we were rolling out the last strategic plan, uh, it's very much focused on adults and making sure that our systems are serving Black, Latino, and Native American adult learners. And as we always say, you start with the data. And um, I was leading a portfolio specifically focused on community colleges and student success. As we started looking at the data and going through the data, um, there was a sector of institutions that um, was outperforming serving Black adult learners. Uh, and again, we, we started to examine that and seeing that 10% of all Black students enrolled in community colleges were enrolled at predominantly Black and historically Black community colleges in this country. However, most of the people we talked to had no idea, one, that that is a sector of institutions that existed. So we were floored to note that. And then second, just being able to talk about, again, the role in community. Um, what you heard Dr. Moss and Dr. Nichols talk about in their introductions is exactly why they're serving 10% of the population and being successful with adults. And so the, the goal of this project was to, one, give a platform and an opportunity for the institutions to come together and to be able to, to talk about their work and tell their story um, and be able to really share out the good work that is happening. And then obviously just to invest in um, their future success. So by continuing to invest in um, organizations, again, that are doing a great job and giving them more resources to do what they do well, um, as we're thinking about getting to goal 2025, where again, 60% of Americans are in a need of post-secondary credential. And here are engines in the community really working to make that happen. And so that's what led to this project. And, and when I thought about who would I give money to to work on this, I said, I got to call my friend Nia. I got to call her because I need somebody who I know and can trust to build relationships. Um, again, this isn't about going in and saying, let us teach you what's happening. It's how do we amplify and, and create community together so that um, more people understand and know about the significant role of PVCCs and HVCCs in the U.S. So I uh, was just glad that she picked up the phone, which she usually does. But second, she said that CCA said yes. Um, and so just honored to be on with you all today. Thank you. And we're honored that you, you entrusted this project to us because we know how important it is. And that's why I wanted to ask um, Dr. Nichols and Dr. Moss when we know that you have a lot of things that you're doing on your campuses, a lot of projects and initiatives. Um, and so what about this project made you think, okay, this is something that we really should participate in or that um, there's a particular type of value in it with everything else that you're trying to manage on your campuses? Um, I know for Alaparri College, uh, we're looking to ensure that we have more black and brown representation in the workforce. And the community college sector really plays a vital role on how we're able to ensure that students have um, access to uh, short-term certificated programs or to be able to be a pass-through to have strong articulation agreements with our four-year partners. 
So being able to participate in this project, this allows us the opportunity to align our plans and ensure that we're able to provide more work-based learning opportunities by way of this grant. And you think about, you know, just the workforce, it's not necessarily about just being able to do the job, but we wanna make sure that we provide the wraparound support services for students to be successful prior to them entering the workforce. Um, I just had an earlier conversation with a colleague of mine where we were talking about just financial literacy on how it relates to certain job markets, such as cybersecurity, on how we're able to provide uh, ongoing support throughout the, the entire student experience for a student. So this relates to just retention strategies that we will hope that this project will help us be able to kind of un unpack and be able to align actions around it. Um, our first year experience, uh, typically you don't hear about first year experience more in a traditional, uh, well, I'm, I'm sorry, you hear about it more in a traditional four year setting, but at the community college or commuter school really is, it doesn't come up a lot. So we wanna make sure that we foster a community of you know, learners that are civically engaged and align with their pathway either for transfer or for career um, in order for them to be successful in the workforce or for a four-year partner. So this is something I feel that this will help bring the college together to align our existing plans that we have for our strategic enrollment management our strategic plan and our equity plan for participating in this project can really help fill the gaps on how we're able to ensure that we provide student ready uh, services uh, for our students to be retained and for them to complete. I'm going to kind of echo some of those things Dr. Nichols said. Um, you know, our institution is, is predominantly Black. You know, making sure that we are retaining and graduating students. Uh, retention is the key, you know, catchphrase or keyword. Uh, most colleges are focusing on especially two-year schools. You know, we're headed for an enrollment clip in 2025. So it's no longer how are we getting, how are we enrolling students, but how are we retaining students? Uh, and more and more states uh, are tying their funding to retention strategies and graduation strategies. So, we're, so this project can help us in, in, in learning some best practices uh, to help with that graduation and retention strategy uh, for our students. Help, you know, help enhance some of our uh, student support services. You know, we have a TRIO program. We have a, a Veterans Open Bound program. We have career pathways for, for single parents. And of course, we have our program for STEM success that works, works with STEM students. So making sure that we're providing all of those services to the students and making sure the word is getting out. That's working with faculty. Uh, that's hosting programs, getting in the community. Uh, one of the things that we're, you know, we're doing on, on campus uh, in terms of retention strategies uh, and, and, and making sure that this is an institutional grant. Uh, it's working with all the colleges and, and, and schools on campus, making sure that their students are aware of the services we offer. We offer computer lab, uh, you know, we offer one-on-one -on -one coaching. So making, so making sure that, that this project can help us expand those strategies uh, for, retention, for, for retention and graduation. Thank you to both of you. Now, and to any of you, um, and we're just gonna have a conversation. So feel free to jump in. Don't wait for me to ask a question. If you have something to say, please rejoin in. I'm wondering, why do you think that you all are doing this so well? There are lots of institutions and different sectors who try to meet the needs of students um, that have the demographics that you serve and just aren't having the same level of success. So what do you think makes it different at your institutions? Oh, I wanna say we still have work to do. And um, part of this is just uh, looking at 
um, what we do from an aspect of betterment and continuous improvement. Um, for example, we, uh, for our City College of Chicago, uh, we have our Center of Excellence. So each location has its own kind of signature specialty programs. Um, ours is transportation, distribution, and logistics. Um, pretty much these are kind of like pandemic-proof careers. We've seen it just with over the past two years in which those uh, those disciplines met in person, regardless of everything that's going on in the world. But we want to make sure that we continue to adapt and be flexible with our curriculum, with our support services on how we're able to ensure that we're bringing students in the door, but giving them the proper tools and guidance and assistance that they need to be successful while in these programs and also setting them up for a job opportunity. So that's meaning strengthening our advisory council, um, ensuring that our employer employment partners are less transactional and uh, more have a holistic approach of understanding, getting to know our students, participating in guest speaking engagements, uh, first day of class, and informing the curriculum on if there are things that have changed, at least over the past two years as it relates to the pandemic, how can we ensure that we have our supply chain management program that meets the current needs? Um, our commercial driver's license program, we now offer class A, which is our truck and trailer, class B, which is passenger, and also class C, which is more your box truck or small van. So all that relates to just ancillary um, curriculum that could be built around it, such as just uh, entrepreneurship. This is uh, all an aspect of supply chain and business logistics. So this grant really helps us uh, allow us to participate as being part of a cohort, for us to look and review our existing practices and how we can adapt and provide more work-based learning opportunities for our students. I think one of the things that helps us is, and I can talk about our program, is that we're not siloed. None of our students in core programs are siloed. We make sure that we touch all the different schools. We have three schools on campus, uh, School of Fine Arts, uh, School of Science, and uh, School of, uh, of uh, uh, technology. And so those are the short names, but we make sure that, that we ingrain ourselves in all of those, those schools. We have a financial literacy workshop that our program does to make sure that we work with the business, uh, the business faculty. Uh, we have a scholarship writing workshop, so we make sure that we work with the English faculty to help students prepare those. The tutors that we hire for our program, uh, we make sure or, or make the effort to make sure that they are faculty, full-time faculty or adjunct faculty, because who's a better tutor than someone that's actually teaching in the class to help those students with. So, we're, so we make sure that we're not siloed and that it's a, it, it, it's a campus-wide endeavor. The other thing that, that I think that, that makes uh, not just this program, but our institution successful, we have caring faculty. Uh, our faculty really care about the business, uh, not just of, of African-American students, but all students. And they wanna see them succeed uh, and making sure that they are there, uh, not just as a faculty member, but as someone uh, a student can reach out to and, 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 and you know, get the support from. So I think it's the biggest thing that our faculty and staff actually care about the work that we're doing and care about the students, not just a job. It's what they come to, it's what they come to do every day to see students succeed. I think you just hit on, I mean, clearly, right? The embeddedness of, you know, community college in that community piece is so essential to think about who is the community and to be an HBCC and a PBCC means of the community, right? And being really focused on serving um, black learners in the community. And, you know, I think that's something that's 
actually rare in higher ed generally, right? I mean, even in my current role, we're going into institutions and saying, the first question you have to answer for me is, who are you trying to serve? Don't just make up a program over here saying like, we should have this X program because we're this kind of institution. It's who are you trying to serve? What are the jobs, the quality jobs, which also is something that I think you all are good about pushing on is it's not just you know, a minimum wage job, it's how to get folks into a quality family sustaining wage job and provide that mobility so that our community is, is again, has mobility, is uplifted. Um, and you do that extremely well because it's, it's in your nature to know who you serve, to think about those employers, to think about the students and bring that all together in a way, again, that um, not, many, not many institutions like me like, have quite figured out how to do this. Um, and so kudos for, again, taking that just really um, that mission, living that day to day about and, and understanding who just who you're serving, how to best serve them. You know, that's that's really rare, actually. You had mentioned earlier just regarding the kind of the mission. And I know for us um, over the past couple of years, we have really looked at um, us actually revising our mission. And that was something that we wanted to make sure that our mission is in alignment with the, the current state. Um, and culture uh, of the college. And this kind of really helped to kind of uh, guide our um, equity planning that we did as well, and really kind of understand what does equity mean here at Olive Harvey College. And um, equity goes beyond race. I think it's really about how we're able to remove barriers. So kind of coming back full circle to uh, why, you know, we decided to kind of participate in the uh, PBCC project is that this will kind of help move forward the current work of removing barriers for our students when we think of more of a holistic approach on how we're able to ensure success for our students. Many of our students come in with a lot of external barriers um, before they even enter the classroom. That impacts enrollment. So really kind of understanding, well, what is something that you know can be done? Um, even prior to joining this project, um, one of the in, uh, insecurities we noticed from our students is just uh, access to food. Uh, access to a warm meal. And we were able to partner with the Chicago Food uh, Depository in order to um, have a food pantry that is now here on, on campus at, at the college. And, you know, things that we kind of, you know, take for granted, but being a community college or a commuter school, it's really about how we're able to kind of serve all the needs of our community, that this college can be more of a one-stop shop and that's just kind of like one milestone, but we have a lot of work to do as mentioned earlier, but it's really kind of continuing to kind of recalibrate uh, what services that we provide both in a curricular setting in the classroom and a co-curricular support service outside of the classroom that supplements um, the work that we're doing that aligns with our plans, but also staying true to the mission. I, I kind of want to piggyback on something Dr. Duncan and Dr. Nichols both said about community um, one of the things I, I think that helps us is we have a couple of outreach programs to the community for pipeline building activities. We have a, a STEM day on campus for middle and high school students. So it does a couple of things. It gets those students exposure uh, on, on a college campus because for, for some students, you know, we, we focus on middle and high school. So from rising six, from sixth graders to 11th graders, that may be their first college tour. So an opportunity to get them on campus to see a college campus is the first thing. And the biggest thing is, is for STEM Day to take some of that stigma or fear away of a STEM major and STEM career. And we can put you in an environment where you understand that there is more than just science or more than just math. 
here's some other things in the STEM you haven't thought about, whether it's engineering, teaching math, whether it's, you know, you can't get in a truck anymore, an 18-wheeler just drive. It's, 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 it's computerized, mechanized. Same thing with, with farming and a tractor. So, so taking that sting out, but just making sure that we're engaging the community in our, our activities and leaving our campus open to some of those uh, uh, groups to come on campus and have the opportunity to understand that it's not that far off for you to attend college, making college reachable and attainable. You all have touched on so many things that I wanted to bring um, Amber back in on as it relates to when you were identifying the strategies that you thought were gonna be key to this project. It seems like you nailed it because um, you know, our colleagues have talked about basic needs support and making sure we're aligning with the workforce. And um, the other thing that we had talked about were like credentials of value and pathways for adults. So how is it that you, like what made you say, okay, these are the things, like these are gonna be the levers that we need to really focus on in order to be able to move the needle um, for these institutions? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. Yeah, for, it's a good question because I think we've all been working on some kind of iteration of student success for a while. And you, know, you and I have our background is in student affairs and um, you know, we also have academic affairs experience. And so um, I think that that just one, just already frames kind of an orientation to understanding that it has to be this holistic approach to what learners need. For so long, we've been tweaking on like, do this in the curriculum and then let's do this over here. And let's have, you know, it all of these things have to come together in a comprehensive way because people are comprehensive humans, right? They're trying to learn and work and do all caretake and all the things. So if we don't have that lens, um, you know, we're, we failed out the gate. But once we started to dig into the research and, and evidence around, and again, putting the, the lens on around um, student success for African-American students who are adults, and this was the thing that was rare is a lot of the student success initiatives have really said like student success, but when you get into the data, it's like, okay, maybe it's not specific to what black students need, or it's also about the traditional age students. So getting that overlay of adult learner, you know, 25 or so uh, to 65, and then thinking again about particularly African-American students, that led us to a certain, you know, group of enough strategies. One um, that I would call out is, a lot of folks think, you know, adult learners want something quick, which they do, right? Like, I'm coming to you because I've got an immediate need, meaning I either need to get a new job or I need to upskill to get a different job. And, but that doesn't mean I want to stop learning. And that's, I think, an assumption that a lot of people have made. It's like, oh, we'll do the one and done, get the short credential, get them back into the workforce when, you know, yes, that's an immediate need because I got to feed my family, but I want a career. I want something longer term. And so that's where that credential value conversation really came in um, to play around. How do I get you a short-term credential that leads to, yes, employment, but has an educational pathway into that associate's degree. So that was one of the first strategies. The second piece that we knew is, again, getting into what are all those wraparound supports that have to be embedded along the way? If I'm starting on the short-term credential side of the house and moving over the credit side of the house, that might be two different federal streams of money that's going to pay. One is maybe we owe a dollars to help me get that short-term credential. And then I come over towards the associate's degree and I've got, so now I'm on federal financial aid and, and that means my household income is shifting and my benefits are going to shift around. So we have to really pay attention with, with intentionality of how we make those transitions and how we scaffold that so that 
Um, I can still have access to childcare and the things I need to keep need to keep learning. And then the last piece was, um, you know, not not it, actually the the last thing on the list, but it was most important is thinking how, how do I do all that in a way that's culturally relevant that really resonates with and is um, not just um, relevant but um, but really empowering, right? How do we shift institutions to be like, oh yeah, I'm going to be relevant? No, this is a place that is of you know, of you and your identity. And um, we really wanted to be able to bring that to the forefront as well. So those were the, you know, you know the three kind of big strategies that we wanted to make sure we could, again, uplift and, and highlight that HBCCs and PBCCs were doing well. But um, also that's, that's a, a trend I think we see, especially coming, trying to come out of this pandemic, the main economic recovery piece is, you know, those are just really key, especially for this moment in time. And so, like I said before, I think you nailed it because um, I know when we first started this project, we were focused really on the Illumina funding was on adult learners. So 18 to 20, I mean, 25 and older, and then the pandemic hit, right? And through some collaborations that you were able to help us make with the Annie E. Um, Annie e. Casey Foundation, we were able to do a couple of things. Also think about how do some of these same issues impact students from 18 to 24 and their families? And what we found is that even if they're in the traditional quotation marks um, age brackets, we're seeing that they're experiencing some of the very same challenges that our returning and working adults are, 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 are experiencing as well as all of the policy implications that are just that are associated with this. And so this project has allowed us to even expand and think about how do we take federal policy, state policy, institutional policy, and put it all together so that we can create this, the environments that we need to support students. So this has been really, really great. Now, I'm gonna ask you, like, this is the tough question. So what are the challenges that, um, that you are experiencing or the things that you're saying, sometimes people say the things that keep you up at night, right? So what are the things that when you're thinking about this work and with all the progress you're making are really the, the things that you're saying, okay, but this is something we really need to kind of figure out or I'm, I'm hoping that with this cohort of institutions, we'll be able to maybe work through some possible solutions as it relates to supporting all of our students. I think one of the challenges we've seen here on campus is, is working. You know, when the pandemic hit, students, you know, weren't, you know, they, they, they were doing virtual or online. So in that case, the student, if, if they were working a job, let's say a lot of our students worked at a Kroger or um, a grocery store or, or a restaurant, they were able to pick up extra hours. And so a lot of those students have got accustomed to those, that extra income. And so versus them needing to come back face to face and be successful in the classroom, they're taking on more and more online classes where their success rates may not be as great. So getting students back to the classroom or providing them supports to be successful in the online world that they're now in is a challenge. And, and, and getting them to understand that where you're working at now is a short-term fix, so to speak, versus your long-term goal of what your educational goal is and your career, you know, it, it, this is not your end all be all. So how do we make sure or make the shift that the student comes back, quote unquote, to, to classes uh, face to face or even be successful online? And that's the challenge I think that we're facing here in Arkansas is 
getting that student to understand, you know, it's great you're working, but here's your long-term goal of graduation. Yeah, I think I think for us is just uh, really ensuring that we're able to kind of provide like um, a level of uh, support around the different modalities that's happening right now. Um, going back to the student ready um, aspect that um, just trying to continue to be more transparent with students where understanding exactly defining what is a face to face class, what is a, a, a hybrid class, what is a traditional asynchronous class, and what is a uh, synchronous remote class, which is a variation of kind of this, this kind of broader definition of online learning. So I, I know that this is something that we're still working through, um, uh, but it has helped to support um, a lot of nuances on how we support students at the college. Uh, one being our virtual student services. This is something that was not heard of prior to the pandemic, but now we have uh, virtual Zoom rooms that are set up for all of our uh, support services in which this helps to address the transportation barrier. If I'm an adult learner, like you mentioned, Dr. Duncan, where you know, I may not have the opportunity to uh, you know, get to the college within business hours based on just having to pick up my child or work in a second job or just you know, the, the amount of time that it takes to commute to the institution, that this allows you to actually physically talk, well, to talk with someone virtually, but an actual physical person that's on the backside of the, the Zoom room. So this is something that even though that we have uh, our staff that has returned to the college, we now have a nuance of uh, a variation of service that we provide that are both in-person and virtual. Um, I think that this is a way when we look at the aspect of equity, this is us removing a barrier that may have existed for many years, but really ensuring that we're student ready, that we're accessible to students to be able to kind of help to support for our advisement, um, for them to uh, inquire about library and tutoring services and actually receive those services virtually, as opposed to in the past that were traditionally only handled in a face-to-face -face fashion. So um, of course, this work is still continuous. I think that we're still learning as we go through this, but uh, I feel that being a part of the PPC, uh, um, PBCC project allows us to really uh, reflect on our existing process and practices and how we could continuously improve and become more adaptive. And Brandon, and well, both of you hit something for us, and we're, we see this at at CBAN. And again, um, you know, we're helping colleges to you know play with those different modalities that you mentioned of. You know, but using Compassy as the framework for getting there, you know, how can I provide differentiated learning? Because I do have learners who have a lot of different ways that they may need to learn with us. They may need in person for this and hybrid for this, and maybe this is all online. And there's a way to kind of structure that. But the scale question is what's really hard for campuses. Um, you know, and we've suffered from this a long time. And, and the Compassy based education movement is that this is a this really gets into, okay, how do I do financial aid? Okay, how do I do, um, how do I structure things in that learning management system? How do I have X, Y, and Z? And mainly I would say because most of higher ed has been, you know, learning outcomes in a course, we haven't really examined what is the quality of the full program we're trying to offer? How do we then create a nice learning journey for differentiated moments through to those program level outcomes? And so it really is, 
um, you know, as you're trying new things, as folks are getting out and, and again, thinking about the flexibility we can provide if we, if we are meeting where learners where they're at, it still is a scale question of, do we have the right technology? Do we have the right number of people? Um, how do we think about it? Again, if it's a program level outcome, uh, we now have faculty teams that's got to work together. Faculty are not always used to thinking about how does my class go into your class and have we, you know, really made this seamless? How then we're going to come in bed, student supports, and we're going to again watch that benefits cliff to make sure when we move from this to this that students who get a pay bump don't lose their childcare. That is again a stretch for most institutions, uh, but understanding again, folks are moving that direction and really um, trying hard to put this all together in, in a different way. Um, that structures again the institution differently. So we remove these barriers. Well, that means again, we have to look different and how we work has to look different, but folks are doing it as you can hear. Um, but the scale question is, it's just hard. It's, it's just a hard thing to get to. Yeah, it is a hard thing. I think um, the thing that's, in, that's inspiring about this is that it's a problem that we know we're trying to solve. And I think with the cohort and the, this project, we're gonna make some movement toward trying to figuring out what some plausible solutions are. And I have one final question. This has been a great conversation. Um, when you think about at the conclusion of this project or throughout the project, what is it that you want the rest of the higher education community to know about your institutions and the work that you do? Because like I said, part of this project really is about elevating all the great things that are happening across this sector so what is it that when people walk away, you want them to say, okay, now I know something new and different around um, PBCCs and HBCCs? And you don't have to be shy or humble. Like you're, you're killing it in uh, lots of ways. And so what do you want them to know? Um, I know I, I keep uh, kind of reiterating this phrase, but ensuring that we're, we're student ready and truly being a model of being a, a community school. Uh, when you think about the idea of a community school is really, again, how can it, we serve as a one-stop shop, not just offering education. Um, we mentioned earlier that, you know, we have a food pantry that's here on site for our students. We also have a, a, a child development lab school for ages uh, two to five years old that is also on site. Uh, we provide um, bus cars, which is through our uh, transportation authority, the Chicago Transportation Authority, uh, venture cars for uh, full-time students and also part-time students with nine credit hours or more um, in order to kind of help alleviate that barrier along with uh, book vouchers and our loaner laptop program uh, during the pandemic. Uh, we had actually allowed for students, we had an internal policy that you have to have completed two semesters in order to be eligible for a loaner laptop. Um, since then, we have reviewed our policy and allow that students should have the resources up front. We shouldn't piecemeal, you know, for lack of better words, certain resources or from an aspect of, you know, privilege, just because you have earned X amount of credit hours uh, in comparison to a new incoming student. So um, I want to say that just, you know, ensuring that we're always student ready in both a curricular co-curricular setting and in a community facing setting. Our, our uh, location serve as a heat and a cooling center for uh, our, our community, just when it's you know, too hot or too, too cold, you know, based on just the, the neighborhood in which we serve. So I think just staying true to our mission, 
being student ready and um, upholding the, the idea of what a, a community school means at a higher education level setting. Piggybacking on Dr. Nichols, I, I, I think for, for us, not only in PBCC, but, but across our communities, is understanding that we want our, our community to understand we're providing a high, access to a high quality education, which is in our mission. That our students are coming here and they're successful. Uh, they're not just coming here and, and taking class, they're, they're being successful. And success can mean a different bunch of different things to our students. It can mean a credential. It can mean a couple of courses to improve their work life, uh, their family life, and understanding that, that, that when you come here, you'll be successful in whatever that means to you. And we're going to craft success to you uh, to make sure that, that it helps you. Also, I want people to understand that listen to this podcast or PBCC that, you know, our, our institution is moving and thriving. We have a, we, we, we come to meet the needs. We have a great search protect program in one of our schools. We have a burgeoning cybersecurity program. We have a great transfer and liberal arts program at our institution. So if a student comes here, they can get whatever they desire. Uh, just come to the institution, just take the, take the time uh, to find that out. And, and you know, we like to be trendsetters, so to speak, uh, in, the, in that field so, so that we can learn from our other colleagues but our partner college can learn from us as well is that, hey, they're doing this right. Um, and we want to be leaders in that part. Those are all huge. I think, you know, when I, I think when I called here, I said, I want policymakers to know what institutions are doing, what, what institutions need. Over, over time and over history, we, and we've talked a lot about this, there have been um, explicit policy decisions that have disenfranchised, underfunded um, PVCCs and HVCCs in this country. Um, there's you know, been political conversations about the type of learning that should or shouldn't happen at colleges. And I think until we acknowledge that and understand and unpack what that has meant from a policy perspective, um, I think then we can find a way forward. And so figuring out you know, what is the, um, the funding model that allows institutions to do this work fully funded. You know, y'all are doing this despite all of those things. And so being able to really highlight and give voice to HBCCs and PP, PBCCs and then broader uh, conversations about federal policy and state policy um, that is that folks know they exist and they should be considered. Um, and that is um, different and, and unique in ways, um, and again, supporting 10% of all black students at community colleges, that's amazing and that's unheard of. Yet again, the, the volume in which you're working is not considered in those policy conversations. So I do hope that we get to that place where you all have that platform to, to push forward with. I think that, I think we will. So um, I think we have a great uh, cohort of institutions with lots of energy and ideas. And um, I think that we really will be able to, to do that and to get people to understand and recognize and move the needle as it relates to support. And I wanna say that this has been a really great conversation for our listening audience, just so you know that over the course of the next few weeks, we will be releasing more information about this project, about the progress of the institutions who are participating or making. And as we learn new things, develop new processes or programs or identify strategies, 
the goal is for us to share this information broadly. So we will take the learnings that we get from the project and share it with other institutions, other PBCCs and HPCCs who are not participating in the project, but also to all institutions, because we believe that um, it's working. And so they, there are some things that are really working and there's an opportunity for every type of institution to learn from every other type of institution. And so you will see from Complete College America, um, more information about the things that we have learned the and the progress we're making and you'll be able to follow along the journey with us and so we just are looking forward to continuing to share and i want to thank all of my colleagues for taking the time this afternoon to to join us so thank you all very much thank you and i would just say don't count me out i'm here to support you in my new space too so if we can ever um, be of assistance, know that CBAN is, is behind you all just as much as I was at Lumina. So um, thank you for having us on board. Yeah, you know you can't get off the hook. And so, <laughs> so you're in. <laughs>